Oh my God, I know. Okay, so I'm going to start off the episode by saying that there is about a 99% chance I'm going to cry. Um, I take a lot of medication to not cry, so please do not uh, see my lack of tears as a lack of caring. But shout out to Dr. Moore. I take a lot of medication so that I don't cry randomly. Not that this is random. We're talking about the Holocaust today, guys. Uh, welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. We are reading Mouse, a book that was recently banned by Tennessee because fuck you, Tennessee. Except yeah, for the hot chicken. <laughs> yeah, the Nashville hot chicken is is pretty lit. But um, we're going to talk a little bit of, more about that towards the end of the episode and the recent controversy. Um, yeah. Obviously, this gra- well, it's a graphic novel, which is, I, it is our first. Is it? I think it might be. Isn't Coraline a graphic novel? No, it just has, it, it was converted into a graphic novel, but it does okay. illustrations by Dave McKean. Okay, well then I guess our first graphic novel, hooray, we picked <laughs> the Holocaust one. <laughs> hooray, um, we picked the Holocaust one. That just, that just feels I was, like us. I was talking to a friend and I almost made like the worst social faux pas. We were talking about actually this very topic. And I was trying to say the Holocaust survivor that I resonated the most with or whose story that I found the most harrowing, which is uh, Ava Kaur, obviously. Uh, If you don't know me and you don't know Ava Kaur, she's amazing. She gave me the line of, I survived the Holocaust. I can get my real estate license, which means that I no longer think about my anxiety ever again. Uh, but I almost said my favorite Holocaust survivor, like she was a Pokemon. Oh dear. And I, I had a moment where like I buffered, like I stopped, like full tilt stopped and like was visibly buffering. It was like, I almost said the worst string of words that has ever existed in which I refer to a Holocaust survivor as my favorite, as if she was a trading card emblem or a Pokemon. So I'm going to stop everything that I'm doing. Uh, we're running away from the topic because uh, both of us are remarkably sensitive to this stuff. I am not one for trigger warnings, but today you get a trigger warning. Trigger warning for everything. Yep. Just it's everything. It's bad. Yeah. Mice don't make it easier to deal with, just like it didn't for Don Bluth, who still hates children. Um, show me on the doll where I'm incorrect. I'm not going to. Uh, so we're talking about mouse. Uh, Tori, what are you drinking over there? Um, I'm drinking a Diet Coke in my own tears. I have a shot in the dark, which is drip coffee and espresso in Jägermeister. Which feels appropriate. Yeah, I don't drink a lot of Jäger, but I bought the mini bottle because it's glass. So it is a glass uh, mini Jäger bottle. It is an herbal liqueur. I don't drink a lot of Jaeger, but I was literally out of everything else. So guess who used to go to the liquor store? So I'm laughing about that looking at it because I just remember like Margaret Cho has this whole thing about Jaegermeister being her Wonder Woman's golden lasso. She will tell everyone the truth about everything. And um, I remember, (laughs) no pun intended about my hair color. uh, We used to drink a lot of redheaded sluts at the bar when I would do karaoke. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm good without, thanks. I think for me, that was a peach schnapps when I was in Austria. Oh yeah. Just fucking peach schnapps everywhere. 
yeah I have oh man I mean I slept great but I also probably said some things I shouldn't have we're running away from the book yep um so trigger warning for everything this will not be an easy episode uh I don't usually I mean our audience is almost entirely adults but I'll do the uh stuff you missed in history class thing where you know if you have any young ones listening this might not be the episode I don't think any of our episodes are but just in case you know you're cooking or something and you have us on loudly in the background also uh here is your uh moment to vacate the ride if you are not in an emotional or physical place to talk about this stuff we will also unfortunately be talking about modern events which are at this point heavy and dismal looking so if you're not in an emotional place to handle that victoria what are you looking for sorry nemo keeps stepping on plastic bags uh, behind me i thought it was your will to live which if you are then please find mine as well um so if you are not in a place emotionally or physically or spiritually to listen to that neither of us fault you frankly i don't think this is a conversation either of us want to have it is a saturday i would much rather be drinking champagne and eating an alfredo pizza from cc's that's but amazing. i have to do this first um to post a picture of my cat being adorable so that way you can use that to kind of make yourself feel a little bit better yeah there's your serotonin checkpoint i also um in other social faux pas amanda has done i was talking about the fact that i've been going over the jody arias case and i said it just like that like i'm in criminal minds and it's my case and i've been going over the case facts like it's not fucking solved and she's not in fucking prison i myself have been trying to track down jody arias like part of me would like sign up for that let's be real watching you try and find jody <laughs> in the one place she's been for the last seven years <laughs> she hasn't gone anywhere right but i would i would love to send her a letter i wonder if she likes fan mail fan mail i mean her level of denial is almost iconic to be fair though i am contemplating sending a letter to bernie td so yeah, like I wouldn't mind sending Jody Arias a letter being like, hey, listen, I don't respect what you do, but I respect your hustle. Like her meticulously putting herself together, like, damn it, Jody, you could have worn makeup. That is such, that is so iconic when she is like doctoring herself to be a sociopath. I don't even know what is happening right now. The train is, is completely so- real. <laughs> That is so iconic that she's like, you could have at least put makeup on with her little compact. And she's just like singing to herself while the detective's in the other room. That is a level of nutbird that I think every woman should strive to be realistically without murdering your boyfriend in a jealous Mormon rage. We don't need that. This is what we talk about when we're not talking about books. Tori, do you want a short story long, which is actually quite, quite long? I do. Technically, this is two books. We only read the first one, but I'll give you a rundown of the second one because it's short. And it Spoiler kind of- alert for the yeah. Holocaust. It's Spoiler bad. alert. It's all bad. Okay. Spoiler- so- yeah. Spoiler seen- alert for World War II. <laughs> this is mostly biographical or autobiographical. So when we cover stuff, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. So already. Nice. Yeah, Artie Spiegelman is looking to write his father's story. Keep in mind, they're all mice. But he also feels like he doesn't understand his dad at all. 
So Vladek Spiegelman is a survivor of the Holocaust and tends to be more focused on his anger with his new wife, his son's choices in clothing and eating habits, even though Artie is very much an adult. And I think he's actually 30. I don't know. Or I don't know how I don't remember how old he's he's basically an adult. He's living his own life. He's doing his own stuff. And his dad's like, no, let me buy you a jacket because you're pathetic. Anyway, Mm -hmm. it's 1978. Artie is in New York visiting his dad. His dad is not doing great health wise. Vladek has had two heart attacks, is taking a ton of medication and trying to work out. So Artie's dad is super awful to his new wife, Mala, a fellow survivor of the Holocaust. And we find out that Anya, Artie's mom, committed suicide a decade before. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting with 1935, Vladek tells of his life in Poland and dating before marrying Anya. He moves to Sosnolek, Poland to, uh, to be close to Anya's wealthy family. They help them establish their own business. They have a son named Richo, and Anya starts to have serious breakdowns, major postpartum depression, and it, she mm-hmm. is put in a sanitarium in Czechoslovakia, which if you're younger and you're going, what the hell is Czechoslovakia? It is now the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Respectively. I remember when that happened. Anyway, she yes. recovers, but in 1939, Vladek is drafted into the Polish army and sent to fight the Nazis on the front line. He's mm-hmm. captured, he becomes a POW, and when he's released, he's sent to all the way to the opposite side of Poland and has to sneak back home. Mm-hmm. The Nazis begin gathering up people and taking them away on trains, including Anya's grandparents. Food and resources are incredibly scarce, and people are executed for trading goods, including a very close friend of Vladek. All Jews are ordered to go to a local stadium and those with multiple children are taken away. Mm -hmm. uh, Many Jews are taken away for deportation, but Vladek is able to get release for him, his wife, and her parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, But his sister and father are taken away and never seen from again. Yep. We go back to the 70s and Artie is visiting his dad to find out more, but he finds out that his dad has read his comic book that he wrote years ago called Prisoner on the Hell Planet, which shows Artie as a prisoner and the exploration of his mother's suicide. And evidently his dad did not take it well at all. Mm -hmm. Vladek goes back to his story. His family is relocated to a ghetto in Zerudla. In an attempt to protect their son Richu, the couple sends him to live with Anya's sister Tosha. They find out that Tosha and the rest of the Jews were being sent to Auschwitz. And so she poisoned their son, herself, and her two kids to save them from a worse case um, at the camp. Yep. Vladek and Anya go into hiding to avoid being captured and sent to a concentration camp. They start walking back to their home. They get passage with Hungarian smugglers and the smugglers end up turning them over to the Germans. Anya is sent to Birkenau. Vladek is sent to Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. We find out that Anya wrote multiple diaries after the war to deal with her trauma, but Vladek destroyed them in grief. And Artie is furious because he finds like those could have been very valuable. Yep. We move on to book two. Um, So Artie is with friends in Vermont. He gets a call from his dad saying Mala has left him and taken some of their valuables, which seeing how uh, Artie's dad treats Mala in this book, I would have already been way gone. Um, After, you know, all that drama. Anyway, Artie goes back to New York, terrified he's now going to have to take care of his dad. Um, Vladek tells Artie about the horrors of Auschwitz. He used Mm -hmm. his trade skills to keep his value and avoid being executed. He finds Mm -hmm. out his wife is in the secondary camp, Birkenau. So they were relatively close. That's why you always hear it as Auschwitz, Birkenau. Um, He sets it up so he can do repairs at the camp just so he can see her. He gathers his very limited resources, bribes Nazi guards, and has Anya relocated to his camp so he can work in munitions. Mm -hmm. The Russian army starts to close in on Auschwitz and Vladik is forced to dismantle the gas chambers. The prisoners are evacuated and sent to Dachau. Vladik gets typhus from 
um, lice in Dachau. He's sent to Switzerland and traded as a prisoner of war and is rescued by the Americans. He goes through Germany, back to Poland, and he's reunited with his wife. Um, Artie visits his father one last time. Vladek is very sick. Mala has come back to help him, but her frustrations are still very clear. And when Artie starts to leave, Vladek calls him Richu in his illness and confusion. And everyone ends with a broken heart. Yeah, so... Um... The Holocaust is bad. I just, I don't have, I don't have any other words. Putting, um, putting people um, in camps is always wrong. Yep. Even when the Americans wrong. did it. The U.S. still does it. It's yep. wrong. Yep. Um, uh, what's interesting yes. about this graphic novel is that um, Spiegelman uses different animals to kind of show different things. So yes. the mice are, are the Jewish people and they live yes. among um, the pigs, which are the Polish people, which sounds really yes. awful, but it, it kind of makes sense when you're going through. The Nazis are cats um, mm -hmm. and the Americans are dogs, which I think is funny. I'm like, is that like a loyalty thing? <laughs> um, are we just I like the so. golden retrievers? <laughs> but I do want to say this before we jump too deeply into themes and symbols. One thing I love about this book is how ruthlessly efficient it is in telling a story. Yes. Um, I think a lot of people, less now, but like especially when I was coming up, uh, people always assumed that graphic novels were just comics that took themselves too seriously, um, which is mostly true, especially when Alan Moore, who hates women, does it. This episode is going to be how many digs I can throw in without pausing. And so far, I am about to hit my absolute uh, just record. So I know, I'm like, you're going for it. Freezing through. Yeah, but I, I want to say that this is a ruthlessly efficient graphic novel and portraying how terrible this was. Um, I don't mean to skip over your point for a minute, but I want to sort of bring things down to an American sense. We don't learn about the Holocaust well because it's hard to teach. In all fairness, Germany barely knows what to do with it and it was their fucking fault. Um, but we as Americans don't grapple with the Holocaust well. Um, when polled during the uh, war in Iraqi freedom, Americans were more willing to take in Syrian refugees than Americans were willing to take in Jewish refugees during the Holocaust. We are an anti-Semitic nation. <laughs> as most nations are, let's just be frank. As most nations are, we are anti-Semitic. We are afraid of Jews, we dislike the Jews, we distrust the Jews, we being the collective nation, Autori and I, we are shameless heathens who do our best to love everyone. Um, we are part of the reason the Holocaust even existed because we had eugenics and we spread eugenics and it wasn't until some very prominent eugenic scientists saw what happened that they recanted. Not soon enough, but frankly, the Holocaust is someone's very, very sad way to explore upon very American concepts. Um, for us, though, learning about the Holocaust, we either learn about it in semi-aspirational, out-of-context readings of Anne Frank's diary, which don't scratch the surface, not to belittle Anne Frank, but we're taught about it like she was some kind of Mother Teresa who magicked her way through everything 
or we learn about it in such graphic detail as children that we just don't process it. I remember in um, elementary school going to the Dallas Holocaust Memorial and they packed us all into one of the replica train cars. And they said, imagine getting on this and not ever coming back. And that is again, ruthlessly efficient, but not to a 10 year old. We were taken to the Holocaust Memorial Museum in uh, Los Angeles and versus the train cars, you go into the gas chambers and I had a full breakdown. Yeah, I think we were taken into uh, showers and very, very similar. So uh, not great for a child. Fun fact, we can't process that. Most adults can't process that. Sure as fuck can process it as a kid. So either it becomes this horrifically othered thing that we can't wrap our heads around and so nebulous that it doesn't seem real, which we're going to talk about, or it seems like it was perfectly fine, that everyone turned out okay, that it sucked for a while, and then the Americans came and everything was fine, which is also not true. Um, I like this graphic novel because it makes you confront both parts of that. That one, the Americans didn't solve shit. This is our fault. And two, it brings this stuff down to earth, which is very hard to do. And I greatly appreciate the author for doing that. It is hard to ground the Holocaust in some feeling of reality. And this tragically does. Um, by doing something that Don Bluth does all the time, which is making them cute, easy to project upon, but relatively cute creatures. Uh, you saw that expertly done in an American tale, which if you press Don Bluth, has nothing to do with any of that, which is very funny that that's his watership down. Uh, Don Bluth loves to deny that that had any meaning. American Tale, I remember that messing me up as a kid because I was- Oh yeah, and they built their own golem of Prague. I was like, why are they destroying their village? I don't understand. And like no one explaining it to me and then like getting older and being like, oh, oh. Yeah, but remember there are no cats in America and the streets are paved with cheese. Um, Keep in mind that, you know, you see all those things of uh, Jewish people being kicked out. A lot of times we like to think of this as a 1940s problem. Nah, fam, this was going on in the 80s and 90s. There were huge numbers of Jewish people who were forced out of Russia, um, who were basically told you can go to Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, And many of them would end up in Switzerland and say, I, you know, I'm not going to Israel. And they would get brought over by church groups and stuff like that to the United States, had to completely learn new languages, do all Mm -hmm. sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Um, People who were engineers and doctors and suddenly having to rebuild their lives from the ground up working in hotels Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Like it, it still happens. Like if you guys know who Eugene Merriman is, um, he's a comedian. He was actually born in Russia, Mm -hmm. Um, but he left when he was like four. So he was a baby, but like a lot of, of families and stuff out here, they have no love for the Russians, okay? Like they they don't. Um, so it's it's a little heartbreaking right now as we go through all this stuff with Ukraine and Russia, where you see people are like breaking restaurants, like Russian restaurants. It's like, no, that's Russian cuisine. They don't like them. They left for a reason. They were kicked out, dude. Like it's- Yeah, it feels, it feels very like freedom fries of the 2000s. 
yeah we're like i saw that a lot so it, in america currently there's a lot of like oh well we're throwing out our russian vodka it's like stoli is manufactured in illinois um the american stuff is illinois they also yeah. are from latvia um yeah the- which isn't russia right uh the the guy who who runs stoli was actually kicked out in 2000 from russia because he uh stood opposed to putin so right so it's like it's okay. all this, right so it's all this stuff that is like so far removed from actual russia but because americans are idiots we think we're helping which we, is the american story a tendency to be very responsive but in a way that's not very well researched out um we're very responsive to white people in danger i'm about to say i'm gonna put 15 caveats on that we are very responsive to white people in danger if you are on tiktok and you are keeping up with the chelsea hart modern warrior stuff then you know we are very fast to respond to white women tears and white people in danger i have that's what we're doing right now with the ukraine i've stayed completely away from that as much as possible i'm i'm so deep in it and i hate it i i can't do it i have so i'm so i am deep in the womb lands i am so deep in that drama it's awful and we are not rehashing it here because we are not scapegoating the holocaust also why does everyone make the bad guys cats oh right cats are delightful but the uniform slut in me does want to see a little Botham SS cat. They had a very clean uniform, unfortunately. It is a very nice uniform on some very horrible people, but I would love a little Botham SS cat. Wasn't that like a Hugo Boss? Yeah, they did. Hugo Boss has been like the rest of his life. my boys love podcasts we have our own discord and it was like why does japan and everyone love like fascist uh fashion so much it's like because it was designed by hugo boss and it's ruthlessly efficient and clean lines yeah and it looks really good on people i'm a uniform whore and i hate like i am not a fascist cosplayer i know too many of them looking at you hitalia fandom I am not a fascist cosplayer, but every once in a while I'll see a uniform and it's like, oh my God, it's good. And then I have to remember it's fascist. And it's like, fuck, I can't wear that. But yeah, stop making the bad guys cats. I mean, I get it. There is some tricky uh, coding with by associating Jews with mice that I'm not going to get into because I refuse to give anti-Semites an end. We will just leave it to, there is some tricky coding by constantly portraying them as this very, very innocent, very, very helpless creature, which I will end there because not giving anti-Semites an end. Um, Tori, do you want to talk about uh, Holocaust denial? Okay, so how many things can I light on fire and throw? Um, We still have the Jaeger. Okay. I lit the, this is a serious topic candle. So, there are still people, and there are quite a few of them in Texas, who don't believe that the Holocaust ever happened. 
they think that it was faked. They think that it was made a bigger deal than it really was. Mm -hmm. Six million people died. Mm -hmm. Six million people. That's the number that we know. That's the number that we know. There, There could be more bodies that we'll find someday when somebody's doing a construction project in Poland or Germany. Well, and the other thing is, is that's typically the number taken from one or two sources. When we're talking about like holistic, when we're talking about disease outside of the the starvation, when we're talking about other forms of violence, let suffice to say the Holocaust was bad. We don't have other words for it. And I don't want to make this a Texas issue, even though I will definitely agree to your point. Uh, Americans are bad about teaching this because to us, it feels very far away and very not our problem, even though it's literally our fault. Um, The story of World War I and World War II. Right. It feels very far away from us. And especially because we entered so late and because of something that really wasn't even related to uh, the Holocaust directly, it feels very far from us. Um, I always, I would absolutely still be that guy who knows too much about World War II in your history class, but I'm not white. So I am uh, safe, or at least I appear to be safe. Also, I don't cosplay fascist. I maintained the episode of Deadliest Warrior that was Vapen SS versus Viet Cong. Those are cosplay fascists and they scare me. Like one was just an American guy who I guess on Ancestry.com had too much German in him. <laughs> he scares me. <laughs> but uh, we're bad about talking about this. Um, I was bad about talking about it until I visited Dachau. And I did this weeks after my mother passed away, which uh, do not recommend. Do not recommend going to uh, Dachau maybe a month after your mom dies. Cause it's not like it's an easy place to go to. I almost punched two girls in the face because they were from my university and they were taking selfies in front of some of the memorial art pieces. If I see you at a Holocaust memorial taking selfies with smiles, I will punch you in the face. That is not a threat, that is a promise. I had to be physically restrained because I was ready to punch someone in the face. Out of all the photos I shared when I was in Europe, that was the only album of photos I did not release publicly. You had to ask to see my photos from Dachau. It felt exploitative to do anything otherwise. Those photos aren't for Facebook. Those photos aren't for a kitschy album and it wasn't a one time thing. I still can hear in my mind's ear, the sound of my feet on those rocks. It's dreadful. It's one of the worst places I've ever been to. But the only thing that was nice was that um, one of the main structures that used to be a gas chamber now holds mass taken care of by many, many Carmelite nuns who've worked very, very hard to make that place a little more human. That is possibly the only redeeming thing about that place. I think every American should visit one of the camps. And if you smile in front of any of the signs, I I will appear like a hawk in the sky and I will punch you in the fucking throat. I think every American should see what we did. So there's 
one of the big aspects of this book, and it's funny that um, Spiegelman uses animals, um, mm -hmm. it's the concept of dehumanization. And this is mm -hmm. something that is used constantly. Yes. Um, this, is, this is a tactic of us and them. Um, mm -hmm. So for example, in the eighties, gay people were portrayed as, you know, inhuman, you know, oh, yep. they must be, they must be bad if they're getting this HIV disease, right? Right. We do the same thing with um, people fleeing the Middle East. We do the mm -hmm. same thing with people who are fleeing Congo. We mm -hmm. do the same thing with people who come across the border to work because their families are being torn apart by cartels mm -hmm. that we help fund. Mm -hmm. um, it is this concept of if you make somebody smaller and you make them not human, it's mm -hmm. a lot easier to hate them. Um, yeah. This is why things like QAnon are so powerful. This is why um, you have to be incredibly careful with your discourse. Um, yes. One of the things that, that always kind of, I've always heard and, and I really believe is if you have that first thought and it's not positive and it's something that you know that you've learned previously, where mm -hmm. you're going to be counted on is that second thought. Mm -hmm. If you look at a Jewish person and go, oh, well, they just run Hollywood. I, mm, no, no. If you are using just these, these outdated concepts and things like that, that's just, it blows my mind. Take that first thought, throw it out of your head. This is something you've been conditioned on since you were a child. Chances are you mm -hmm. heard this from your family, you heard this from friends, you heard this from leadership. Mm -hmm. and, and I, and I'll interject a little bit. Because I was talking about this because anti-Semitism also runs really, really heavy in the African-American community. I mean, it runs heavy, heavy everywhere, but like it's particularly weird in the African-American community because it should be one of those things of, hey, everyone seems to hate us. Why are we not friends? Um, a lot of that stuff comes from the media. Yep. A lot. I will not scapegoat the blatant anti-Semitism in media. We have so many Jewish coded characters or outright Jewish characters that are depicted as trash. Looking at you, JK Rowling, with your Jew coded money goblins. I was just gonna say, are we talking about Gringotts? Um... Like there's so much of that is the media. So like growing up, I don't think I knew a single Jewish person. We had no reason to be anti-Semitic. But when you talk about those first thoughts, a lot of them when I was younger were those horrible anti-Semitic tropes and characters from television, from movies, from books, and from comics. Mm -hmm. Comics! Looking at every American writer who forgot that Superman is meant to be a modern golem of frog written by Jewish men. Also, this is why so many people were upset that they uh, whitewashed Wanda's character. Um, Scarlet Witch, because yeah. her original parentage is Jewish and Romani. Also that she was raised by a cow who what? stood on two legs. <laughs> but like, there, there are certain things that are- That's the only laughter that will be in this episode. I'm so sorry. 
there are a lot of things that are, are coded that are important. Well, that not are important, but you know, like there are a lot of things that we see in comic books that should be important that get removed when they become a major movie or are included and they shouldn't be. Or that at like least that just coding. get left behind. I think like that's the big thing with Superman is like that just got left behind. People stopped enforcing that. So they stopped thinking about it. Just kidding. It's still a major thing. Um, so we talked about Holocaust denial. We did talk a little bit about dehumanization. Segregation is something that we've talked about before. Uh, <laughs> frequently, basically in this instance, we're talking about the othering and the moving of Jewish people into further and further uh, space. Is this where you want to rant about calling your house a ghetto? It is. So, By all means. Um, as you've probably noticed from recent bitchings, I work in property management. Um, yes. My least favorite thing of all time is when someone in the very highest percentiles of, of earning in our mm-hmm. town calls and says that their neighbor's house looks like a ghetto. Your neighbor left their trash can in front of the garage. People aren't di- dying and starving and being forced 15 people to a space that should hold four. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, bitch back down i am not the person you want to say this to but i also will say though um i don't want to give that a blanket negative i want to give it a very soft blanket just because i feel like we also can't take away when people of color and marginalized people do describe their experiences as thus i don't think when the average african-american person talks about their house being a ghetto that it's one-to-one comparing it to what happened but i definitely (laughs) <laughs> but uh, but to Tori's point, I agree. When you have like a rich white person who's like, oh, my neighbor is so ghetto. That is a very clear message to their racism and their privilege. Yeah. If Karen and Kyle are complaining to you about, about their neighbor's house being a ghetto, that is right. a very different thing than Tupac singing Heaven is a Ghetto. Right. Or talking, or even just like, so for me, um, that was a powerful tool to other me from other Black people. So me with my fairly light skin and white sounding name and chemically straightened hair and college education, that was used for me to say, you are above that. You are not ghetto. You were not raised in a ghetto. That was a very, very strong emotional tool to discourage teenage pregnancy, drug use, (laughs) everything from my Catholic debutante family that you are above them. Therefore, you must not mix, mingle, or do anything to dirty yourself or lower yourself down. Jokes on them. Now I rap to Kanye West in my Prius. So just to kind of describe what an actual ghetto is for those who haven't really done the, the research in, in regards to the Jewish concept. Um, the Jewish concept. That's so <laughs> I'm not saying this is, this is an interior design. They did not European come up with concept. Yeah. Um, the taking of it. You Ghettos were a way station before they could get rid of you. That's entirely what it was. It was, let's see how many people we can starve out or kill out 
or get rid of before we move them somewhere else where we can do the job think, more efficiently. Okay, so this is where I become your weird uh, World War II history guy. One of the main factors of World War II and Hitler's terrible plan was Liebenstrau, which is this idea of living space. And as far as Hitler was concerned that Germans needed more living space. They were emasculated during World War I. I mean, they lost, they were emasculated. Um, they were paying out the ass in fees because they did a World War I. So the idea of living a true Aryan Bavarian life where you have your fields and your acreage and you're producing and you have wheat and cows and little blonde Danish children because that's where he took the model. Most Germans don't look like that. <laughs> Points at camera directly. Um, to have that, you must have space. One problem about Germany during uh, the 1930s and 40s was uh, there weren't a lot of fields. <laughs> They were vastly running out of space to do that. So the plan was, we need more living space. Problem, there are other people in the living space. How do you achieve living space? You get rid of the people on the living space. It's basically what America did, but a lot spicier. See Highland clearances. Yeah, a, a lot of people have done this in the past. I'm going to go ahead and say, uh, to a dubious distinction, I think Hitler was the worst. Um, just going to go ahead and say that. But that was the plan. It was, we need space for Germans. We need space for German business and German trading and German wheat and German flowers, which means we have no space for all the other wheat and flowers. Um, and that is a very soft way to put it. Uh, watching Glorious Bastards, it's a great uh, way to get any of your Nazi anger out. Also taught me how to count properly so I don't get shot. Forever. If anyone knows me and I count to three, I count the German way. And I will always do that. Thank you, Inglorious Bastards. Also, shout out to the girl who left Inglorious Bastards when I saw it in theaters and said, wow, I didn't know that's how World War II ended. Oh, God. Oh God, don't, don't, okay, back up. Don't use Inglorious Bastards as a history lesson. Just please Use Inglorious Bastards as a history lesson. At that time, a bunch of Jewish Americans killed Hitler. So yes, use Inglorious Bastards as a history lesson. <laughs> it's also why Amanda and I will be like, goodbye Shoshana. Yes. Oh man, I quote that movie so much. I'm kidding. There was some more laughter, but it was at the expense of murdering Hitler via Jews. Um, you're you're the only reason that I've seen Inglorious Bastards and uh, and Django Unchained. By the way, good. I I accept that dubious distinction. Uh, and also, if you're wondering, Django Unchained is where that a line from TikTok the it's like a reward comes from. You're yeah, right. that's Christoph Waltz. Um, everyone thought it was uh, one of the McElroys. It's not. It's Christoph Waltz. Uh, he's brilliant in that movie. He's, everyone's brilliant in that movie. You know what? After this episode, go watch 
go have a Tarantino marathon. Go watch Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained. The revenge will make you feel better. It is like a reward. Uh, speaking of rewards, you want to talk about fascism. <laughs> How is that a reward? Uh, Hugo Boss uniform. <sighs> It's so hard. It's like, how do you describe it without just like pointing a bunch of fingers? We're going to point a bunch of fingers. Uh, we will link probably some Crash Course episodes to better talk about fascism, which means Tori and I have to go watch Crash Course. Oh no. Uh, to the official definition of fascism, okay? Yes. Dictionary yes. wise. It's yes, a form yes. of far right authoritarian ultranationalism characterized by dictatorial power forcible suppression of opposition and strong regimentation of society and the economy that rose to prominence in the early 20th century Europe. Russia, right now we're looking at you and also the United States. But mm, I'm going to be careful with that one. I got to be really so, careful on that one. Yeah. yeah, we're going to be really careful about that because here's where I jump in as your PR specialist. What is fascism not? Someone who disagrees with you. <laughs> Fair. People who like social welfare. People who like political correctness. People who don't like racists. That is what a fascist isn't. For people on the left, a fascist is not someone who disagrees with you. Someone who has a differing opinion. That is what a fascist isn't. Like most words post-Trump, everything is in a post-modern hell where everything has been stripped of meaning and we throw words around like it's sparkle confetti and nothing matters anymore. There's a problem with that because now it is very, very hard to decode and decipher actual fascism. There is an amazing ContraPoints video on fascist dog whistles that should be mandatory watching for everyone. I'm like, fascist oh. dog whistles are my favorite thing. Do I need to explain what a dog whistle is? I would. So in this instance, a dog whistle is an innocuous seeming thing that usually masks darker intention, as in it is very soft, almost invisible to people not in that community, but very loud to those in it. I gestured. Um, so uh, when people were saying like Pepe the meme is now a fascist symbol. The damn frog. The damn frog. Um, that's a dog whistle because we've deconstructed it so far away from what it means that fascists were able to use it. And that video that contrapoints it on fascist dog whistles is amazing. I say that is mandatory watching and for anyone who does any kind of community management or moderation. Um, my best friend, Carlos, this is, this is a serious dog whistle. Um, he was talking to me about something that he saw on 4chan. This was years ago. And he said, yeah, someone was talking about 11s and I don't know what they mean. And it's like, oh, so here's an anime deep cut. There's an anime and a manga called Code Geass in which the like new-ish Britannian army conquers and colonizes Japan. It's a very complicated, stupid anime with giant mech robots, and it's not for everyone. But in that recolonization and resubjugation of Japan, the British renamed Japan Area 11. 
and denounce and destroy anyone who speaks up proudly of being Japanese. Calling a region or a person an 11 in that particular thread was a dog whistle because unless you caught that reference, you did not know that it was fascist and racist. And I knew the dog whistle. Dog whistles and knowing them can literally save lives and save you from fascists. See also Spain in the 30s. Yeah, I mean, realistically, we could throw a dart at a board and we can find something fascist. Italy early on, Spain. Oh yeah, Mussolini <laughs> was doing some stuff. Um, he took over Ethiopia for crying out loud. You could throw a dart at a map and find fascism. Um, we have talked about racism a lot. Mm -hmm. We talked about anti-Semitism ahead of the main episode. Um, suffice to say it's bad and it is deep. Um, to trace the roots of anti-Semitism at this stage is a Sisyphean endeavor. We don't know how far it goes back. Some say it goes back to the crucifixion of Jesus. Realistically, it could go back further than that. Mm -hmm. What we do know is that for the sake of argument, people have been hating the Jews for a very, very long time. And we will end that point on, we should stop. We would literally be here all day if we discussed anti-Semitism at any greater length than it is bad and stop it. Knock it off. And be willing to acknowledge when your mode of thinking is out of date. And that's hard. Every American is anti-Semitic. We all are. It's the muck is already on us. We have to wipe it off. Uh, okay. We talked about the treatment of marginalized people, but one thing that Tori uh, was talking about, and as I was reading the book that I wanted to go in on, and I'm sure Tori can echo this experience, is um, what trauma does to people. So Vladek gets a bit of a bad rep in this book, and I'm by no means saying that abuse is okay. But I think that um, it's easy to forget sometimes that everyone processes trauma differently. And I, this is going to sound very trivial, but I hope that you get what I mean. If I'm this fucked up from losing my parents due to bad decisions they made, I can't imagine what I would be like if I had to go through something like the Holocaust. And I don't say that to belittle my trauma or to belittle my grief or to belittle anyone's trauma or their grief. But if I have this many problems from watching my parents die because they made bad choices, I physically cannot wrap my head around the absolute Batman level sociopath I would be if I wouldn't have killed myself already having gone through the Holocaust. There's also a lot of um, things that I found out more researching Art Spiegelman and his parents versus mm -hmm. 
just what's included in the book and some of it's worse. Yep. Yep. Uh, but trauma does that. And there's lots of stories about people who have been through horrible things that come home and enact that violence at home. And it's not an excuse. It is merely context. And trauma traumatizes. That's why you see those echoes continue on in this beautiful, horrible thing called generational trauma. Where if you look at most people, especially people of color, there is a heavy burden of generational trauma. I lost track tracing my family's own. I lost track around two greats ago. I was able to get back to my great grandmother's mother. And that's where I lost the trail of generational trauma. That's not that far back, but it is continued all the way down through me presently. And it is, there was a comic that I found on Twitter. I'll have to see if I have it saved somewhere, but it was, a, it was from an Asian creator saying that their generational trauma was like a lion in the house. And we tried to ignore it, but then we started feeding it and the lion got bigger. Sorry, they analogize theirs as a tiger. And then they said that they analogized their American friends as a lion. Every house has one. And unfortunately, there is usually a turning point where we start feeding it. And from there, you can't go back to ignoring it. My family has been feeding ours for many years, and now I'm trying to do my best to ignore it. It's hard. Every single day, it's hard. It's one of the it's, reasons you're also seeing a very big resurgence in the pagan community of doing ancestor work mm -hmm. um, in in both families of color and families without um, yep. the melanin challenged. Um, but yeah, there's a mm -hmm. lot of reaching back and going, okay, how do I stop this from continuing? Mm -hmm. What do I need to do to make sure that my kids or the people that I interact with don't have to mm -hmm. deal with this BS on another generation? Right. Because the problem is, is that it, get, it gets lost. We don't know why we're still fighting. Um, what I don't like is how it encodes into our DNA. Um, trauma is a physical thing that marks and rewrites your brain. Yes. And it's been doing that since we evolved from monkeys that were eaten by eagles so now we get anxious when there are large overhead shadows. If you ever get freaked out by a bird in the sky, that's because millions of years ago, there was a monkey that saw its child get eaten by an eagle and had its brain pecked out. In theory. No. No. In evolution. There are lots of eagles that eat monkeys. And they pack out the brains, including the African crested eagle. They're a very large bird. Trauma is not just emotional, it's physical. And the issue of generational trauma is that it's like then just carrying this outline of something. You know its shape, but you can't figure out any of the details anymore. 
And then you just keep passing it down over and over and over again. Uh, yes, the body keeps score. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm insert, putting, I'm putting notes the body in. keeps score right here. Uh, there are some great uh, the School of Life videos on this too, including the body keeps score. Um, do you want to, when you're finished typing, talk about uh, Art Spiegelman? I do. So I apologize for destroying the name in the very beginning. Ishak of Avraham Ben Zviv Spiegelman was born February 15th, 1948. As mm -hmm. of this recording, he's still alive and I'm knocking on wood because now I'm always terrified when we do somebody who's still alive. We did murder Tony Morrison. He was born in Stockholm, Sweden, um, but he and his family came to the US in, in 1951. When mm -hmm. he showed up, um, he changed his name to Arthur Isidore, but they later just started calling him Art. So we just went by Art. Uh, he mm -hmm. and his family settled in Pennsylvania to start, and then they moved to Queens in 1957. He started working in comics in the 60s. He was an honor student at Russell Sage Junior High and started a magazine mm -hmm. there called Blase. And he was offered a syndicated comic strip like when he was in high school, but he turned it down because he's like, I mm -hmm. want to live for my art, which, yeah. Um, his parents weren't thrilled about him wanting to choose a career in comics. So they uh, were like, you should become a dentist. And he's like, no, nah, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, mm -hmm. He ended up being a contributing artist for the New Yorker starting in 1962 for like 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, he started a, his career with Topps Bubblegum and trading cards in the 60s. He worked there mm -hmm. until the 80s. Um, so if you know what the garbage pail kids are, he is responsible for that, as well as the wacky packages in the 80s. So mm -hmm. I do unfortunately know what a garbage pail kid is. Uh, they're, I was going to say they're trash, but that felt like too gratuitous of a pun. <laughs> So he started working on underground comics in the 1970s by doing autobiographical work. These mm -hmm. were ended, uh, these ended up becoming published in a collection called Breakdowns in mm -hmm. 1977. And his wife, Francois, actually helped him put that collection together. Um, he did work in the magazine Arcade, but it was still very avant-garde and unique. Mm -hmm. He ended up meeting um, Francois Molly in 1974 after mm -hmm. she read his comic Prisoners on the Hell Planet, which is real. Um, she rushed to contact him and they talked on the phone for eight hours. He followed her back to France so she could finish her architecture degree. But then when she came back to the U.S., she ran into some visa problems. Um, so they just got married to make it easier. Um, mm -hmm. And then she became a colorist for Marvel through his connections um, mm -hmm. and her incredible talent. Let's be real. Um, they solved their, uh, oh, we already talked about the visa thing. They went back and forth between America and Europe. Um, during the different comic mm -hmm. seasons. <laughs> um, they married again later on to please Spiegelman's father um, after she converted to Judaism for him. So Francois could, was mm -hmm. like, okay, we'll make your dad happy. Um, Mouse actually just started off as a brief piece on racism um, and he decided to make it more about his parents and their, their struggle themselves. Um, mm -hmm. He started working with his father on Mouse um, his dad obviously was a real Holocaust survivor, um, and uh, he decided to use the um, eth or represent the ethnic Jews as mice because there's a very famous Hitler quote about Jewish people not being human, which infuriates me. But it's actually at the very beginning of the of Mouse. Um, mm -hmm. Spiegelman's parents were Polish Jews um, named Anzia and Vladislav Spiegelman. His father mm -hmm. was actually born Ziv van Avraham as his Hebrew name, but he changed it to Vladislav. And then Vladek. Um, during German occupation, he was forced to write his name as Wilhelm or William, 
until he immigrated to the U.S. And his mother's mm-hmm. Hebrew name was actually Hannah, but she changed it to Anna once in the U.S. just to make it easier. Um, and Spiegel then chose to use easier spellings in mouse because he thought it'd be easier for an American audience to pronounce. Um, Thank you for acknowledging the universal truth that Americans are dumb. Spiegelman actually means mirror man in German. So I found that interesting. Um, Rishu, um, his name was actually spelled a different way, was his real brother who did die. Um, he really was poisoned by his aunt so the Nazis couldn't take him to a death camp. Um, mm-hmm. At first, Spiegelman's parents didn't believe that their son was actually dead. So after um, the war, they went all over Europe and searched orphanages to try and find him. Mm-hmm. Which, like, how sad is that? Like, they're like, no, he can't be dead. That's not going to happen. Um, Spiegelman said that, it, or Art Spiegelman said it was really hard, though, because he grew up his whole life with, like, this ghost brother kind of situation. So yeah. he would get in trouble, and his parents were like, you should never have done that. And he's like, um so that's awful but hilarious so at the start of world war ii this is really stark um he had or his family there were 85 living relatives and at the end there were only 13 that survived that were known to have survived yay not sinking um Mouse took 13 years to write and create and it ended up being published in 91. Mm-hmm. He won a special Pulitzer Prize in 1992 because graphic novels mm-hmm. weren't really considered a big thing at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up later working on a graphic novel called Shadows of No Towers, which was published mm-hmm. in 2004, um, which is in regards to the September 11th attacks from 2001, mm-hmm. um, which is so weird to me that uh, my stepdaughter was not alive when that happened. Okay. Um, Spiegelman worked as an editor and a teacher at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. He still does lectures and he's very big on mentoring cartoonists and advocating for comics literacy. Mm-hmm. We were talking about people tend to be like, oh, comic books are just a waste of time. No, they've become a form of literature. And if I may, if I may, if I may, I'd like to get on a little soapbox. You know, I'm five foot one. I have to get on a little soapbox. Um, if I hear one more person say that comics aren't political one more time just one more time (laughs) i'm going to take that soapbox and i'm going to use it to punch you directly in your adam's apple just like that they're a very political friend if you have the audacity to look me in the eye which is quite hard as mentioned i am five foot one i will climb you like a koala climbs a tree and punch you in the neck. There's this image of you climbing up somebody. <laughs> That's exactly what's going to happen. Comics have always been political. Insert image of Captain America punching Hitler. So one of the things that I find really interesting, Spiegelman always talks about his style. Um, it's be- he says it's because he struggles with depth perception because he has one lazy eye. I'm like, what? Work. <laughs> okay. I mean, work. Um, he has won a ridiculous amount of awards, like so long that I was just like, I, I'm not reading all of these. Um, so that's a big thing. Now here, we're going to talk a little bit about the modern controversy. So unfortunately, uh, in January of this year, so 2022, Mouse came back mm-hmm. into the public eye. It's never actually left. Um, I was about to say, it's on that list of like top graphic novels. It never left. Right. 
but the McMahon County School Board voted to remove it from the eighth grade curriculum. Um, and it immediately ended up going on the t- Amazon's bestseller list. Um, mm-hmm. There's a huge wait list at our local library and we live in Texas. So I need you to mm-hmm. think about that. Um, Spiegelman compared the board to Vladimir Putin, which turned out to be incredibly prescient as of recent events. Yep. Um, he was quoted as saying that the officials appeared to rather want to teach a nicer Holocaust, um, which is not untrue. There have been controversies out here about uh, teacher or not teachers, school board employees saying that if you have a book on the Holocaust, you also have to have a book that has the counterpoints in it. Which is no. just mein Kampf. What? I don't know that. No. What, um, what is that? Is that just fan fiction? What the, right. Um, <sighs> so yes. when they ended up having a following school board meeting for um, the one in Tennessee, there were so many people, they filled an overflow room. Um, the mm-hmm. com- reason that they were complaining evidently was at least what they're saying now is that there was nudity, sexuality, and vulgar language. You guys, kids have TikTok. I hate yeah. to tell you that they already know yeah, the word. Like, They've known the word since fourth grade. Yeah, um, and uh, okay, listen. If we're gonna run children's purity as the the litmus test, then ban all books. But I mean, don't though. I mean, but don't, obviously don't. That's not what we're advocating for. Uh, but if that's gonna be your litmus test, then we shouldn't be reading the Odyssey. We shouldn't be reading Shakespeare. We shouldn't. We shouldn't be reading the Bible. The Bible has more nudity. There's and a, a lot of murder. Bible where a guy's wife gets raped and he cuts her into multiple pieces and sends her all across the world. Yeah, if that's the case, ban the Bible. There's, but it's not. Don't ban books. People are stupid. Fuck you, Tennessee. Uh, just kidding. I don't know if we have any listeners in Tennessee or not. Um. So, on a serious note. The Holocaust was real. Book banning is common. Read. Read banned books. That's why there's an entire banned book month. But continue to read banned books. Uh, Read books that make you feel uncomfortable. That's one of the reasons why I've always been a little anti-trigger warnings. I like it when books hurt and make me think and make me have to face reality as it is. It's hard and I cried and it's rough but it's necessary. Read books from other people's point of view that make you feel uncomfortable. I maintain that every American child should read Beloved. I agree with you. It's really uncomfortable. It's heartbreaking. Incredibly. But it's important. And read books that don't necessarily align with your viewpoints. Now, I say that with a caveat. I am of the opinion that there are some things that are simply not up for discussion. One thing that happens during a lot of, uh, and I hate that it's a left versus right, but you will understand when I say discourse spaces, is that the right always wants to debate and the left apparently doesn't. The problem usually is, is that the right wants to debate on things that to the left are not debatable, like human rights and women's rights, and the rights of African-Americans and of people in color. So no, we're not debating on transgender rights because trans rights are human rights. And that is not a debatable subject. So while obviously read books that you don't necessarily agree with, 
Also, you are not obligated to read the Turner Diaries. <laughs> like, I, I think that's one of the biggest issues in like discourse spaces is, oh my God, the right loves to say, well, you know, those, those leftist snowflakes, they don't want to have a discussion. I do not want to talk about abortion with you because abortion is women's health care. Victoria, Sorry. what in fuck's sake? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, okay, that's a good excuse. It's real it, was, it was a cat sighting. That's fine. Um, we, after approvals, will have some designs going up into our shop and 50% of proceeds for those designs will be going to the respective charities, one for Ukraine and one for helping transgender Texan youths after our governor decided to be an absolute limp dick cunt and pass a nothing burger of a law knowing that this was his same flaccid attempt to look like a big, strong man at the expense of children. Which I mean, not surprising from the man who basically ruined foster care in Texas and refuses to take care of any of the aftermath. So we'll have some designs going up in our shop soon. That may look a little bit different. And half of those proceeds will be going to charities that are applicable to said causes. If that upsets you, we don't need your money. Amanda is angry this episode. Uh, Tori, we have a lot of resources. All of them will be going on our website, including all of the aforementioned uh, videos. My message about contra or the <laughs> contrapoints, the body keeps score, as you can see them popping up on our outline as we go. Yes. So uh, you have to read yes. this in school. I never had to read this for school. I have read it multiple times because of course I have. Um, this is actually the first time I've gotten to read it and um, it's pleasantly surprised and also heartbroken, but nobody's surprised. Tori, which school requires this book? Um, I've seen it in colleges. Okay, so it's always funny when, because I said Tori you can pick the book and I usually end up semi-regretting that because I always go for low-hanging fruit and Tori pulls out the obscure books that one school talked about once so I guess we're talking about Angela's Ashes by Frank McCourt next time even though I've never heard of this really no it's like the epitome of Irish coming of age I'm black Tori and I'm making you not read Ulysses. Fair. It's, it's like, it's the, it's the epitome of Irish coming of age. I'm Black, Victoria. I'm just letting you know, there's a lot of Catholic stuff in here. Okay, fine. Uh, you know what? The cover does look somewhat familiar. Okay. There was a so, movie. I'm sh- fine. It's not Dicey's song. Oh, God. A book I connected to too much as a kid, which should be the sign of everything. Uh, we'll put that on the list of things that should have been an indication that something was wrong. I read Dicey's song and related to it way too hard. Mine was um, The Bell Jar, so I know uh, surprised. No, not <laughs> a white liberal? What? Not the least. Uh, so that is our episode. We're sorry that it was hard. Tori, where can the good people find us? 
We are all over social media. We're at Unfortunately Required Reading on Facebook, Unfortunately RR on Twitter, Unfortunately Required on Instagram, and UnfortunatelyRequiredReading.com if you just want to go to one place. You can also email us at UnfortunatelyRequiredReading at gmail.com. Occasionally one of us checks our email. Um, if you would like to support the Wine and Cheese Fund, you may do so at anchor.fm slash unfortunatelyrequired. We would very much appreciate your support, especially during these trying times as we continue to work on our strategy to return to in person. The pandemic is essentially over and at least capitalism has won and the CDC has said sometimes people die. Um, am I incorrect? Well, we also have Deltacron, which just started, but everybody's like, eh, it's not that bad. Sometimes people die. Um, guys, there's a lot going on. Um, be kind to yourself. I limit my news enjoyment to uh, about an hour a day. That's it. And honestly, it's probably less than that. There's, there are ways to stay abreast without drowning. Be nice to yourselves. Be kind to others. Be generous with your time, with your gifts, and with your talents. And also rest. Uh, thank you for listening and for the love of God, go read a band book. <laughs>